Hello, and welcome to This Week in Ringer Sports. I'm Liz Kelly, bringing you the highlights from the Ringer Podcast Network. Some stuff you can check out on the site this week. Danny Heifetz gave out regular season fantasy football superlatives, and the staff wrote a few different articles breaking down that Steph Curry injury. What it means for him, the Warriors, and for your Christmas plans. You can check that all out on theringer.com. Okay, for the first clip of the week, we are starting with the crosstown shootout between Xavier and University of Cincinnati, which resulted in a decisive win by Xavier, but a tension-filled post-game handshake. On One Shining Podcast, Tate Frazier and Mark Titus break down the mix-up and post-game comments. Apparently, J.P. Sleeves, mm-hmm. formerly J.P. Sleeves, J.P. No Sleeves now, tells Mick Cronin, and I, I, I don't want to do this, apologize, Mom, I'm trying to get this swearing out of me, this is, this is me quoting... He says, fuck off to Mick Cronin three or four times. So because of that, when the handshake line comes, Mick Cronin snubs Makura. He just doesn't shake his hand. Mm -hmm. My guess is he makes it obvious. He's shaking everyone else's hand. He gets to Makura, skips him, doesn't shake his hand. So Makura tells Cronin, and I quote, suck my dick. For the kids, SMD. SMD. Uh, Cronin comes back. Cronin hears this, turns around, comes back, and tries to. And that's when he has to be. He does a hold me back thing. Um, that's the video that got leaked. It yeah. was basically Mick Cronin. This is once he's already gotten through the line. He is running back to the line with the classic hold me back. And you what know, I saw, he, he was him. saying, "Do you want a piece of me, motherfucker?" Yes. So again, yes. I'm sorry for the foul language. I try not to swear. I'm, I'm not quite on Tate's level, but I'm trying not to use language like that in a potty mouth. Um, <laughs> But that's that's what happened, and so that leads to allegedly. That leads to these brilliant comments from Mick Cronin and Chris Mack in the the post game press conference. Yeah, I've never had a kid tell me to f off three times before, and during who, the game and after the game. You know who that? it was. Same guy at all is every game. Did you guys? Lunch? Fifteen years I've been a head coach. Okay, five years with hugs, two with Coach Patino. I've never seen anything like it. Will you guys talk afterwards or talk again? There's nothing to talk about. Where I come from, there's nothing to talk about. And if he was playing for me, he wouldn't play. He wouldn't play for me. Mick Cronin, there's nothing to talk about. Where I come from, there's nothing to talk about. And we should say, Titus, he comes from Cincinnati. So so, so if anyone will understand where he comes from, it would be all those reporters in the room who most likely live in Cincinnati. I'm glad you caught that, because this was my favorite part of the comments, was that (laughs) he's explaining to a a room of Cincinnati people, after just playing a Cincinnati team, (laughs) as the coach of Cincinnati, where I come from, Mm. this is how we think. That was cool. Um... This was in character for Mick Cronin. Yes. So I and he got to the podium podium first. So he goes from I'm running back to yell at JP McCurr, you want a piece of me, to straight to the media room to this moment, and he's ready to go. And he's like, you know who it is. So yeah, it, it's implicit that we all know it's McCurr. He's already had problems with him before. He wants this moment to be the case because let's be honest, he just got blown out in this big rivalry game. The best way to spin this thing is they have a classless player on their team, and we're Cincinnati, and I would never put up with such an act but here's the thing as it turns out Mm. according to chris mack mick cronin would put up with such a thing let's take a listen i know one thing the narrative is not going to be jp mccura and mick cronin it's not going to be the narrative because there are two sides to the story there are two sides to the story there was a reason that their coach was issued a technical in the game there's a reason for that I know that reason because the official told me what happened. 
So I'm not going to have the, the narrative be anything other than us playing better than Cincinnati and beating Cincinnati today. Beating. As far as he would never play on my team, I'm going to go back to 2009 and 2010 when I was the head coach and Lance Stevenson in front of me, right in front of me, called me the N-word three times and said, F you. After the game, guess what I did? I shook his hand. I shook his hand. That's it. That's it. There is no narrative. There is no narrative. We won. There is no narrative, Mark Titus. I became a huge Chris Mack fan after this. Mm-hmm. He handled this absolutely perfectly. Um, Just like any Skip Prosser disciple would. Love yeah, Chris Mack. So Chris Mack, uh, he, he defends his guy. He doesn't necessarily call out Cronin. I didn't think he was like very confrontational towards Cronin necessarily. It was more of just a defensive. He went high. Yeah. Cronin, Cronin went for a low blow, basically being like, this kid is a bad kid, and he's a bad egg, and he's representing your program. And Chris Mack was like, but, I'm bigger than this. But he didn't go too high. That's no. the thing. That's the no. other move. Is like a lot of coaches would have just said, "I don't want to be involved in this. Uh, all I know is our our kids played hard tonight, and we got the win." And they would just leave it at that. So he still defends his guy, but and, and I know Cincinnati fans probably thought Chris Mack sounded, you know, he, he his comments were uncalled for. I like the second or, beat. You know, well, like he takes yeah. a second. It was like and beat Cincinnati today, and then goes beat. beat. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. Like the second to to make sure that you know. But this was it was in character for both coaches. I don't think I have a problem with Cronin saying what he did. I, I think this was in, this is very much in character for him. Um, nothing he said was particularly bad because I th- I think the the way you look at what happened and your first gut reaction is Cronin is an adult and JP Sleeves is a kid mm-hmm. and it's not right for an adult to yell at a kid and that, there's probably a little truth to that. But he's not a kid. JP yeah. Sleeves he's pulling he his asshole. He's, saying. he's yeah. pulling his asshole out of bars. Like this kid knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. Tell people to SSD. I mean, this isn't. I don't know. It's not like you don't. This isn't an eighth grade basketball game. So yeah. I don't. I don't really have a problem with Cronin. He, ideally, he would have handled it better, but he didn't. And I don't think he really needs to apologize because that's who he is. And like that's. That's why Cincinnati fans probably love him. That's why this, we love this rivalry is because these coaches are the way they are, and you know Chris Mack's going to defend his guy. You know Mick Cronin is going to be be doing Mick Cronin things and getting red in the face and being really mad that he's five five and and they yeah. they fit the personalities of the school so well because I mean there's like a more well reserved yes. Xavier vibe to it than a Cincinnati like I'm in your face abrasive. You know yes. that's just kind of how well, they, that's, that's that's who they are. That's, that's the name of the rivalry. Xavier fans feel like that. That's that's kind of the, the way every public versus private school like the the private schools were the classy people. Mm-hmm. You thought like especially it was bad when Huggins was getting like JUCO guys at Cincinnati and you oh. had the the Bob Thuggins thing going of where you see and you know so. Um, I don't know. I, 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 but this is. I, I love this. Obviously, we love this. This is, this is UC Xavier, and I never want it to change. And and I know that Xavier fans and Cincinnati fans are going to be bitching at about like who started this, who was right. But at the end of the day, both fan bases know that they love that this happens. So I told you guys last week I would be back today with hopefully better sports news. And while I can't say I entirely delivered on all fronts, justice has been served and we bring you great news from the New York Giants. Benching Eli Manning backfired, resulting in another loss, so the Giants cleaned house by firing GM Jerry Reese and head coach Ben McAdoo. That may not be the only head coach shown the door. In this clip from GM Street, Tate Frazier and Mike Lombardi talk about coaches who may also be on the way out. 
Our favorite segment, one of our favorite segments, uh, producer Jim is laughing at that because I go everything the favorite segment. But uh, we have, if we're all thinking alike, no one is thinking. And first up, we have the Giants are thinking of hiring a GM, and they think that will solve the team issues. Well, I think you know, look, the Giants, as I talked about on the Saturday, on after the games on Sunday, the Giants have this model that's been really successful for them, and it's worked. And I think their model is going to have to tweak a little bit here now because to get a great coach, to get like if you really want Josh McDaniels to be your head coach, you're going to have to hire somebody that he wants to be the general manager. Is he the top? I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, I, but is he the top I candidate? Would, you think? I would think uh, when you go through all these jobs. I mean, look, he turned down the four, the the job Kyle Shanahan has was Josh McDaniels' job last year. There's nobody. There's no disputing that he turned it down. He didn't feel it was the right fit for him, even though they were willing to turn over all the authority to him. He just felt like there was enough in that front office that wasn't really right for With him. With the York family. and Well, well Prague, the, the, the assistant guy, was he going to be involved? How much analytics were going to be? You know, I think I just don't think it was right for him. And obviously, it's right for Kyle, and it'll turn out. Now that they have Jimmy G, it might turn out really well. But I, I think the Giants going to have to change and shift. They, they bring Ernie Acorsi and their former general manager to, to help with the search, which is going to lead them down a road to fire to hire this stereotypical general manager who then is going to hire the coach. This model doesn't work in the NFL. It really doesn't. I mean, the mm-hmm. model that works is Pete Carroll gets the job. He interviews candidates. They put John Schneider in the job, and they have a happy marriage. This other way, it can work for a year or two, but it's never going to work for the long term. And it's not just the Giants that have an opening there, you know, for a head coach. I mean, we're going to look across the league and you look at the Colts. Uh, Pagano right. will probably be out. That'll no be doubt. a job that will open up. The Bears, John Fox will most likely be out. That job will open up. There, there's so many openings in the NFL. I mean, on average, I believe we said there was seven, usually seven openings, but there aren't usually seven suitable coaches to go in and take these jobs. Right. I mean, you got to think Cleveland's going to open up too. Yeah, Hugh I mean, Jackson, I know Hugh's done a great, you know, I mean, loved, loved by the Haslam family, of loved course. Loved by the Haslam family, <laughs> which they haven't quoted as saying it. Can Hugh run my next PR camp? Pain. I mean, Hugh's really remarkable at it. I think the genius of Hugh Jackson is that if you speak for other people, then you, it becomes quotables that people believe, but did it's you, not actually them saying it. Did you see what he did this week, which was brilliant? He started talking. Like You should really teach a class. We should get Jackson or somebody here over Go at to SC. USC. Yeah, 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 teach a class on how to really get ahead of everything. He started talking about the future of, of, of Kaiser Soso <laughs> and how he was going to be the quarterback next year and how much improvement he's going to make from year one year two it, it was so obvious what he was doing like he's just trying to make it out like he, you know that he's grooming this quarterback it, it's all for next year it's for the future Neil, yeah. and it takes everybody's eyes off the fact that he's now cert- past John McKay as the as the leader of the team with the most losses in the worst time period of anybody over an expansion team and he had an expansion team so look I, I think that Cleveland job Tampa Bay is going to open up I don't mm-hmm. think there's any uh, somebody, yep. somebody's going to get Somebody's going to have to get that one in there. And then I think that there's wild cards. I think Denver's going to have to open up. I really do. I don't see how Denver's going to stay the same. I think that one and done, like I said earlier, if you lost, you can't make good time. So Denver's going to make that decision. I think Cincinnati, I think Marvin Lewis, whether that's run its course, I don't know. Last night was a really bad loss for them because it looked like that was the kind of game where the Bengals get a big win over the Steelers and everyone, they're, right and, and they're back on. Yeah, they're back on track. And all they had to do was close it down. They, yep. they beat themselves. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh didn't win that game. Cincinnati beat themselves. It was 17 to zero, right? And then, right, it was 17. Yeah. And they gave up the cheap yep. three points at the end of the half, which mm-hmm. is uncalled for, right? And they lose by three. And they that lose was the by game. three. That was going to be, that was going to be, you know, and that's what, 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 situational football matters. Like the last four minutes of every half really determines the outcome of the game. Obviously in the fourth quarter, it clearly does. But in the first half, it really does. And when you had the ball last, they score the touchdown and then they give up those three points. Horrible. And then you've got 
is Dallas going to open up? Is the Clapper going to keep it or not? Or is Arizona going to retire? I mean, there's. What about Detroit? I mean, what about Caldwell? He just signed an extension. Oh, he did? That's not okay. going to happen. So, you know, Detroit's. Congrats not, to Jim Caldwell. I, I mean, was just hanging good. on. No, I mean, Detroit, look, they just gave Matthew Stafford a big contract, gave Jim Caldwell an extension. I mean, everybody in the media wanted Jim Caldwell to get extended at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. you know, but. They don't want to wait. They go ahead and do it. So you know, look, there's some things to like about Jim Caldwell. And based on this, based on this marketplace, you got to wonder like who's going to fill these jobs, right? Yes. Where is these jobs going to go? So McDaniel's obviously is the number one candidate. I think that everybody feels like, and I think he'll look to him first. We have more Giants-related discussions in our next clip, where Cousin Sal and the degenerate trifecta talk about a Manning-focused gambling prop since he's back as a starter, in this clip from Against All Odds. So the prop this week is number of Eli Manning jerseys this Sunday at MetLife Stadium versus career passing yards for Jimmy Garoppolo, a.k.a. Tate the Snake Frazier. I'm putting this one at even. I'm not even making a spread on either side. Which number is going to be bigger, Parlay Kid? Number of Manning jerseys or Jimmy Garoppolo passing yards career? Well, Sal, everybody here that I know in New York that roots for the Giants and that has tickets, they've all given them away. Really? I think, uh, yeah, everybody I know is uh, the Cowboys fans are gobbling these tickets up. Mm. The Giants fans, as of a couple weeks ago, were getting rid of their tickets. Mm. Okay? Uh, Garoppolo. Boy, Brian and I were so impressed with him last week uh, watching that game. He can really make all the throws. Uh, you know, how much is By the way, Harry, what does MetLife hold? What does that stadium hold? It's the, it's the worst new stadium in football. 80, 80, it's terrible. 80. Yeah, I think it's 82. 80,000? Tate says yeah. 82. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. Hey, they've been averaging 77,000 this year. Right. Yeah, so who let, knows? Let's, that let's, could be. Eli jerseys are going to be out in abundance uh, this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, any any self-respecting Giant fan will probably wear one to show support for Eli. There's going to be a lot of them. Uh, Garoppolo, for as good as he looked, let's face it, that, that he'd have to throw for a lot of yardage, even though we like this kid. A lot. We're we're as high on him as maybe Simmons is, and I think Shanahan is going to be a great coach for him. Hmm. What a great trade! Teams are going to regret not giving up maybe a first for this kid. Mm-hmm. While San Fran got him for a second, so so I'm going to say, let's go with this. Going to be there's still going to be more giant uh, Manning jerseys in that stadium. Okay. Uh, this week than Garoppolo yard. So take take this take the fans. All right, all right, brother Bry, do you agree with your brother Darren, the parlay kid? Uh, I disagree with them because, as he was saying at the beginning, like most most Giant fans, I think sold their tickets a week ago, but when they benched Manning for uh, Geno. So, I think, yeah, I mean, how many Giant fans wear Manning jerseys this week? Like ten thousand. I mean, you might see just as many Romo jerseys in there. I, I do think half of this team is going to be Cowboy fans at least. I was just going to say this game. I mean, obviously yeah. it's big for the Giants, but I think. Like you were just talking about earlier, I think the Redskins games is going to be the real the swan song for Eli. So I could see a lot of a lot of jerseys, but ten thousand passing yards for Garoppolo is going to be easy for him to pass. I think oh. I know it's one game so far, but I could easily see this guy throwing for thirty to thirty five thousand career yards. I mean, there's there's guys on that list like Ryan Fitzpatrick who's thrown for like twenty seven or twenty eight thousand yards. So I think this is Garoppolo on a landslide. All right, Damn, can I change my thing? Okay. 
Good point, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't change. Harry, what are you saying? I know. It's too late. <laughs> I deserve it. Harry, what do you think? Look, overall, I think... Overall, I think this is a game Eli and the team should be focused on winning, and I think uh, he wants to do it for the fans of New York, and uh, I think the team will support them. Uh, and the, the team and Eli, and there'll be plenty of jerseys, but career passing yards, I, look, I'm going to give this bet also to Garoppolo. Mind you, the best quarterback ever to come out of Eastern Illinois. Did you hear that, Darren? Oh, oh really? The best what? quarterback okay. to ever come go. out of Eastern Illinois. Meaning, he's better than Tony Romo. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. what, what, I just want to make that. I just want to make that stat since Garoppolo's senior year in, at Eastern Illinois. Eddie, fifty-three touchdowns. While, while taking the dog to the vet, I looked this up today. I was curious. Garoppolo, fifty-three touchdowns, nine picks in his senior year, five thousand yards. The best season Romo ever had at Eastern Illinois was thirty-four and sixteen. How did he sixteen picks at Eastern Illinois? How did he make the pros? But anyways, I'm going to go with Garoppolo because uh, yeah, he's got a bright future and he looks good. Even though a lot of fans will support Eli. I just wanted to throw that out there about the uh, Eastern Illinois. Harry, did you run that gem by your dog as you were taking him to the vet (laughs) for the grooming? Or you just just let it fly Uh, just now? He's very... very, Comet's very interested during or during the Giants games. Very interested. All right, all right. What? Harry, do you weigh in there at the vet? In, uh, uh, yeah, did you weigh in today? I, you know what? This was a different. This was a different vet, so I didn't <laughs> want to. Actually, I didn't want to get on that scale because my dog usually weighs seventy six pounds. This time he weighed eighty four, so I was definitely not getting on that scale. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Are you feeding him the KFC? <laughs> <laughs> you weigh your dog every day. Different, different vet. Different vet. Oh, but the vet uh, uh, essentially this gained eight, eight, gained eight pounds in, in a week. Your dog. I don't did? know. I, that's why I didn't want to get on that scale. All right. All right. That is very confusing. Tate, what do you say about this? Scale. Garoppolo, as the resident Jimmy Garoppolo of the show. Are you saying career passing yards or Eli Manning jerseys? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Jimmy G. But I don't want to say him, so I'm going to say fans. Why not? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think there's going to be. I think it's if there's twenty thousand jerseys, that's a lot. Yeah, I think that's a lot of jerseys, and I think they will hit that. It's all going to be fans like Harry if he were there. All fans who were calling for Eli's head at some point during the last two years, but they have to wear the jersey anyway. They're outraged about this coach and everything else. But okay, a lot of hypocrites. I say about twenty thousand hypocrites at MetLife Stadium, and that's not going to be enough. I think Garoppolo, like uh, like Brother Bryce said, I think he falls in that thirty thousand range. And you have like you have the Alex Smiths, you have the Steve McNairs. You have, you know, Phil Sims right in there, you know, 33,000, 34,000. Even Tony Romo, the great Tony Romo, 34,000 passing yards. I like passing yards for the great uh, Jimmy Garoppolo over Eli Manning jerseys. Next up, Juliet Lippman and director of the Go 90 show, The Fifth Quarter, Michael Ratner, interviewed maybe the most polarizing man in pro sports that has never actually played, LeVar Ball. In this clip from Sources Say, they talk about the Ball family's Hollywood pursuits. Was acting always in the mix for you in Lonzo? Well, not really in the mix. It's just what we do. We can act all day. (laughs) (laughs) How do you decide what projects are right for you then? Any project is right for us. 
Really? The floodgates are going to open after this. <laughs> anything we decide to do and we feel like doing it and we got time for it, man, we good at it. Is there anything you would say no to at this point? I say no to a lot of things. <laughs> if I don't have time or if I don't feel like it, then I'll say no. What's the most recent offer, like a, a professional offer that you've rejected? What's the professional? I don't know if it's professional or not. It's just if they ask me to come on some shows or something, I'll usually go ahead and do them. Oh, I haven't said no to anything. Is acting something you guys like doing together? Sure, it's fun. Doing it together is even more fun, but it's just acting. It's just entertainment. Okay. Yeah, the, the two of them together also, like I directed LeVar and Kevin Hart, and I was just amazed because LeVar went toe-to-toe to him with him right off the bat, and obviously that's what Kevin does every single day, and they just had an amazing chemistry, and then I think it was only like two weeks later, right, LeVar, when we did the fifth quarter stuff with Lonzo, and again, the scene back and forth and whatnot, LeVar really could turn it on, and he, and he could take direction really well, too. Yeah. Between your other two sons, who is the better actor? Between my other two sons, I, I think they're all actors. You just got to get them in the right moment. Okay. So there's no there's no opportunity that we could really rule out, rule out for them or for you right now? No. Okay. Can we talk about the Lakers for a couple minutes? We sure can. We can talk to anything you want to talk about. We on the phone. Let's go. <laughs> Amazing. Um, how do you guys feel about Kuzmania that's taken over in L.A.? Kuzmania? Yeah, the Kyle Kuzma fans. What? Oh, I think that's a good thing. Anybody that's on the Lakers and they got some fans behind them, I'm good. I like that. All right. I like Kyle Kuzma, too. I'm glad we're on the same page. Okay. Have you heard from the president in the last couple of weeks since you were last on <laughs> CNN? I haven't heard. He hasn't called me on my home phone. <laughs> if he did, would you pick up? If he called on my home phone, I would pick up. I call anytime. I pick up when y'all call. <laughs> That's right. <It's laughs> That's true. true. Whoever calls my home, I'm picking up. Taking calls from anyone. Yes. How did you How did you first find out that he tweeted about you and was talking about you? I first found out he tweeted about me when I was on the way to one of my son's games. And then some reporter called me and asked me, and he said, did you respond on what Trump said? And I said, I don't know what he said. And then he read it to me. Were you offended? Offended for what? No. I'm not offended. It's got to be a pretty shocking phone call when you pick up and they say, hey, did you know the president of the United States just tweeted about you? Yeah. No, it's not a shocking phone call. Like I said, <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you're at a certain level, anybody can call you, you shouldn't be amazed at nothing. That's fair. Okay. I figure it's entertainment. He's probably an entertainer, too. You thought he wanted some big baller brand stuff. He probably he wanted, wanted, he wanted the ZO2s. Version. I mean, you can't blame That's the guy. That's what I'm talking about. I know he wanted them ZO2s, but he tried to undercover like it. he was wanted something else. If he invited you to the White House, would you go? If he invited me to the White House, and if he had some Roscoe's chicken and waffles, I might come. <laughs> but if he's doing the cooking, I ain't coming. I need somebody that know how to cook there if he's going to invite me to the White House. So it's point. only if it's good food. Yeah, I want some good food. I'm not coming there to do no talking. I come to eat dinner first and then talk. Is there any truth to his claims that he helped get your son back to the U.S.? There's no truth. I told you guys all that a long time ago. Okay. That's what he made the big deal about. Right. What did Leangelo think about all the attention? Leangelo, he don't think nothing about this stuff. I mean, he's just going along with his life now. It's a situation that happened. He made a bad decision. Now, that's that's over with. We over here doing what we do now. Do you have any sense of when he'll be playing again? When he'll be playing again for, we're talking about for who, as far as just playing, playing? He's going to play tomorrow. Oh, okay. Great. But it ain't going to be for the school or nothing like that, but he ain't going to stop working on his game. Yeah. Do you know when he'll be back with UCLA? Do I know when he'll be back to UCLA? Yeah, playing for the team. Yeah, I do know. Are you allowed to say? Am I allowed to say? Yeah. Sure, I'll say. You asking me? Never. Okay. How's that? Okay. That that is uh, emphatic. Exactly. 
In our last clip of the week, we are pivoting to college football. So the college football playoff was met with disapproval with University of Alabama claiming the final spot over Ohio State. On Ringer University, Ben Glixman and Roger Sherman discuss if the committee got it right. So Roger, I guess I just got to start with the big question. Did the committee get it right? Was Alabama over Ohio State the correct call? Yes, that was yes. Yes. You know why? It's very easy. Tell me why. There are a lot of like buzzwords we could use. We could say stuff like um, yeah, uh, strength of schedule. We could say stuff like you know. We could talk about their the the word resume could be used. It could. To me, there's only one important thing. Ohio State lost by 31 goddamn points to Iowa. And that's it. So you're so you're all the way for. You think the committee got it right? You're good with the top four teams. You're good with Alabama in, in 31 spot goddamn points. To Iowa. And so, I mean, you know, both teams had one understandable loss to another team that was in the top 10. Mm-hmm. And additionally, Ohio State got the crap kicked out of it by Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes. They gave up 55 points. And so it, it was a pretty simple. <laughs> it's pretty simple. No one is. The funny thing is no one seems to be arguing, oh, I think Ohio State is the better team than Alabama. A lot of people said, it looks to me like Ohio State has the better resume. They have more quality wins. They um, they scheduled strongly by adding Oklahoma to their schedule. But I feel Alabama is probably the better team. They didn't lose by 31 to anyone, especially not Iowa. And it's it wasn't as complicated as it seemed. That's actually what the committee said, and that actually is a really good segue to what I want to get into, because I don't think the committee got it wrong, but I think I disagree on what the committee's charge is. Every time I look at sort of who should be in the field, my brain naturally thinks it should be the four most deserving teams, not necessarily the four best teams. And I think Ohio State was more deserving than Alabama was. So ultimately, if I was picking the field, if I was a one-man unilateral selection committee, I would have had Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Ohio State as my fourth team. And yeah, the sticking point is the best versus the most deserving argument, because I think Ohio State had better wins. Wisconsin finished number six in the college football playoffs selection committee poll. Penn State was number nine. Michigan was number 16. All three of those are better than Alabama's best win. It had a conference championship, which Bama did not. Its, its first loss came to Oklahoma, which was the highest ranked team of any of the, any of the teams that either Ohio State or Alabama lost to. But that said, it's sort of coming back to, to what you're saying. If Alabama and in Ohio State played on a neutral field, do, who do I think would win? Probably Alabama. So it, if, you're, if you're going just based on looking straight on paper, who, has the, who is the best team, it's hard for me to find fault with what the committee ultimately decided on. I think, and this is maybe my, uh, my most curmudgeonly take here, I would go based on resume and who I think deserves it more, and that's why I would be in Ohio State. I just don't think anyone who loses by thirty-one to Iowa deserves it, man. It's it's, it's that would that is the worst loss any team in even their, the history of the playoff that's even been considered has suffered. There were so many things about Ohio State that were worse than any other team that's made the playoffs. They had two losses. No, no team had had two losses before. they both of their losses were larger than the largest loss by any team 
in the first three years of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I I didn't like the idea of them being in the field with Oklahoma if they'd already lost to Oklahoma. But that's my own personal take. No one else is talking about that. <laughs> I think if you lose once to a team, you don't get the chance to beat them again later in the year. Okay, that is the roundup for this week. You can find the full-length versions of all of these podcasts and subscribe at theringer.com slash podcasts.